actually live by Christmas Street. Anybody uh, know Christmas Street? All right, so we actually have our own little Griswold thing going on right down, you know, a couple blocks away. And I remember uh, one of the, my first job was in a small town in Ohio where they literally only have one stoplight, and the whole town would hold competition on lighting your houses for Christmas. I mean, it was Griswold everywhere you went. It was amazing. But what's Clark doing? I mean, basically Clark is trying to do the best that he can do. He's trying to have a great Christmas. And uh, the people in Carrollton, Ohio as well, man, they wanted the award to know that they were the best at what they've done. And so in light of that, I looked up uh, Guinness World Book of Records. You guys, how many, you guys remember that book when you were a kid? Did you love Guinness World Book of Records? And uh, if, if, how many of you have actually looked at it recently? Anybody looked at any Guinness stuff lately? I mean, it's hilarious. It's all on YouTube, of course, as well. But there are some Clark Griswolds who, who are trying to be the best and trying to be the greatest, trying to get their name in fame to say, I matter, I'm significant, I'm in the Guinness World Book of Records, okay? How many of you guys know Paul Hun? Anybody heard of Paul? No, exactly not. Paul is known in the Guinness World Book of Records for the loudest burp. Now that is something to be proud of. 107.1 decibels. Now, you know how loud that is? If you put a Walkman on and put it up to full blast, that's 100 decibels. If you sit in the front row of a rock concert, it's 110. And this dude's burping at 107. I'm very impressed. All right. How many of you have ever heard of Dennis Avon? Dennis Avon is known in the Goodness World Book of Records. He is the person who has had the most surgical procedures to look like an animal. 14 surgeries to look like a cat. Now, he's the best. He's the greatest. In fact, Andy said he's actually seen pictures. He's had whiskers surgically put into his face. So anyway, that's Dennis Avon. How about Kevin Shelley? This is one's on YouTube as well if you want to watch this later. He is in the Guinness World Book of Records for, being the, for having the most wooden toilet seats broken with his head in a minute. 45 of them he's done. I actually watched it. It was very impressive. So he gets done, and the, the best part was he gets done with this. It's on a big TV show. You know, there's this big, huge audience. They're all cheering him on. And when he gets done, he has this cold pack on his head and blood, you know, just gushing down his side. And this was his response. He goes, well, everybody needs a hobby. <laughs> so, okay, if you're looking to be the greatest. Now, here's the most impressive one to me. A French guy, Michel Latito. Anybody heard of this guy? All right. He is known to be the best and the greatest. He has eaten more metal by a human being than anybody else. Check this out. Since 1966, Michelle Latito has eaten 18 bicycles, 15 supermarket carts, seven TV sets, six chandeliers, two beds, a pair of skis, a computer, and a complete Cessna aircraft. Seriously. This guy, if you, if you Google him, and you go to images, he'll have a picture of him with a steering wheel, and he's, and he's biting it. This guy has literally, it took him two years to eat the airplane. He has literally eaten this stuff. Are you impressed? <laughs> no. Okay, great. Um, I mean, but here's, here's the point. I just thought these things were hilarious to me, that people in the Guinness World Book of Records do stuff just to be known as the best or the greatest at something. And that's what I want to look at today, is this thing that's inside us, this drive that is inside us to be great, to be first, to be the best. Do you guys have this? 
See, because I really have this thing. My, as I've shared with you, my dad was a football coach, baseball, basketball, phys ed teacher. And so athletics, my whole life, just growing up with that, I just grew up and there was, man, when it came time when I could actually finally get on a team and play, there is no way I was sitting on the bench. Man, you got to be first. I want to be first string. And the stuff that I would go to to make sure that that would happen. You know, my mom and dad also made me play in the band. So I was one of those band jocks. It was awesome. And uh, for you guys who played in the band, you remember, it's like, man, you, you want to be first chair. You get different parts. And those the poor of you who had to play clarinet, because like if you were clarinet, I played baritone. There was only like two of us. So if you weren't first chair, you were second chair. You know, so that wasn't a bad deal. But if you were clarinet, you could be like 18th chair or first chair. I mean, student got me. And, and, and here's the point. It never goes away. It never goes away. We get into business, and what do we want to do? We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want to make just a little bit more. We want a little bit better position. We want to be at the top, and we want to look down. We want to know that we're significant, and we really matter. Why is that in us? I actually looked up, just real quick, the definitions of great, of being great. Listen to this. If you're great, you're very significant and important, powerful and influential, larger or more important than any others of the same kind, or pregnant. I, I don't know how that got on the list, but <laughs> it had in parentheses archaic, so I guess that doesn't matter anymore. But if you're great, I mean, listen to those terms, significant, important, powerful, influential, and more important than others of the same kind. See, there's something inside the human nature that says, that's what I want. I want to know that I matter. Look at the definition of first. If you want to be first, that means you're proceeding or ahead of any others in order. A higher rank, significance, or authority than others in the same category. You're best in quality or achievement, or you're the lowest gear in a motor vehicle. So which one of these doesn't fit? The others, right? Because there's something inside of us that wants to be first. Because if I'm second, then I'm not quite as valuable. I want to be great. So when we look at Jesus Christ, you guys, the one thing that we can know about Christ, those of us who follow him, who believe in him, he is the greatest. There is no question. There is no one with more power and more influence who wasn't the absolute best at anything and everything. And so we worship him. We look to him. He was first. He is the most important one of all. And so we get this, this picture, and what I want to look at you today is I think, I think there's a possibility that God has actually been the one who put inside us this desire to be important. I think to be human is there's a desire to be great, to be influential, and to know that you really matter. And um, if any of you don't have that... Um, I, I would really question if you're breathing because I think it's something in us. And what we're going to look at today is a story in the scriptures of Christ helping us to see what it really does mean to be great and what it really does mean to be the first. And so I would love to pray before we jump in. And again, I'm going to just go verse by verse through this passage here today. And I want to encourage you again to remember in this moment, if you're someone who struggles a little bit with the ambition to be great or first, and, um, and it's actually something that's been a, maybe a thorn in your flesh a little bit, 
then maybe today is a day, or maybe you're not someone there. Maybe you're someone who says, I just, I've never felt great. I've never felt first. I struggle to know that I'm valuable or important. I believe that today God can really speak to us. And I want to encourage us. Would you, I'm going to pray, but would you open your heart up and say, hey, God, if you have something you want to say to me today about what it means to be great or first, um, I could really use to hear it. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're here today. Um, God, thanks for every person who's here. I believe that we're gathered together in this moment for this hour, not by accident, but that you know every person. You know their whole history, their whole background, everything that's ever happened to them, anything they've ever done. You know everything they think about, and you love them dearly. And I, so I pray, God, that today, that we might be able to leave this place um, with an understanding of what it means to be great and what it means to be first. And so minister to us today in the way that only you can, God, because I know that I can understand things, but I can't get them to make a difference in my life unless somehow you move in my heart. And I pray that you'd move in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up on the scene, and uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus, what's happening here is Jesus, he's ministered to people, he's taught a lot, he's healed people, he's done all this great stuff, and now he's finally kind of at the end of his days, and it says that he's turned his face and he's starting to head to Jerusalem. And so he's going to Jerusalem and he has his 12 apostles, 12 disciples with him, and other people are following him there. And one of the things that's happening is this, is the disciples know that something's going to happen. Jesus has been talking about a kingdom. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the Bible, the word that you're going to see appear all the time is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus constantly talked about a kingdom. Well, if there's a kingdom, then there's a king. And the apostles knew that Jesus, they believed that Jesus Christ was the king of this kingdom. And what they believed was that he was getting ready to inaugurate that kingdom. And these guys were with him, man. They believed in him. They'd followed him for three years. And they believed that he was going to do this. Now, what's interesting in the verses right before the ones I'm going to teach through today is Jesus also told them on numerous occasions, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. I'm the king and I'm bringing in a kingdom, but I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. And they were, I mean, it's easy for us to look back and know what that meant for them. They had no idea what that really meant. And so they knew this. The one that we've given our lives to is a king. And his kingdom is coming. And so what was happening right here, right now, is they, I, they were beginning to argue amongst themselves about, well, if he's going to die, then who's going to be on his right and who's going to be on his left? Who's going to take over? Who's going to be in charge? And that's what we find out is going on right now. There were some disciples of his that wanted to be great. So here we are, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says this. He just said, the verse right before that says, on the third day, he'll be raised to life. And then we go to verse 20, and it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, 
One of the things I love this is how James and John had their mommy come and ask Jesus for him. Don't you love that? <laughs> I love it. Hey, hey, mom, you know, I think maybe you have a little more clout here. One of the things you'll find out is that his, their mom, his name is Salome, and she was actually at the cross. You'll find this later in chapter 26. So when Jesus was being crucified, Salome was there. So she really was a follower of Christ. She would have, he would have known her, and she was a believer as well. But I think it's kind of funny. You know, it reminded me of Susie when I first wanted to come up and hang out with, with her. Uh, she didn't know if she really wanted to have that happen, but then that, those were her words to me. Um, my mom wanted to know if you wanted to come and spend Thanksgiving with me. Well, you know, if your mom says it, then I'll come. So anyway, that's what we got going on here. So mama comes up to Jesus, and she says, Would you grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Now, for us, right hand, left hand doesn't mean anything. But back then, with kings, when a king was in his court and he was ruling, there would be a person at his right and a person at his left. And if you were one of those people, you were, outside of the king, you were the most powerful people in all of the land. You were significant. You had influence. You had power. You were very, very important. And so what mama was saying, hey, was Jesus, I want my boys in your kingdom to be really important. So Jesus says in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Now, here's what I love. So mama asked the question, hey, Jesus, would you put these guys at your right and your left? And Jesus doesn't answer mama because he knows this is really the boys. And he looks right at him and he says, hey, you know what, you guys? You have no idea what you're asking. Oops. And then what did they say? Verse 22. He says, Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, yes, we can. So Jesus says, so guys, you want to be great, huh? You want to be my right-hand guy? You want to be on the left? You want to be the most important, powerful figures in my kingdom? And then he says, you have no idea what you're asking. Now, James and John go, oh, yeah, 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 we do. Come on, Jesus. Now, if you guys read, if you read the Bible at all, one of the things you're going to see is outside of the 12 that Jesus had, there were three that were in the inner circle. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. See, so these two guys were saying, hey, mom, man, you've selected us. We're in the inner circle here. We're really important, and we know Peter's going to be coming and asking the same thing, right? So they wanted to beat him to the punch. Man, Jesus, we believe in you. We're in. We want to do great things. I think that's what they're saying. We want to be important. We want to do great things. Can I ask you, just out of curiosity, have you ever, how many of you have ever been in here in your spiritual journey, have gotten to a place where you have said to God, God, I want to do great things. Anybody ever been there? Okay. It's, it's, it's not immediate, I don't think. But I think eventually what happens when you start to follow God is your heart gets to this place where you say, you know what, I want to do great things things. I've shared this story from a different perspective a few times, so just hang with me if you've been here for a while. But when I was 19 years old is when I really literally gave my life completely to God, surrendered everything to Him. And I remember it was such a life-transforming experience for me. And it was so unbelievable how God was becoming real to me as a college student that my junior year I just, I, I was ready, man. I wanted to do awesome things. And I didn't feel like God was doing anything with my life. You ever been there? Like you want to do great things, but it like doesn't seem he's as interested in doing great things as you are. And so Eric Winter, you guys know who's on staff. We've been friends since we were nine. We actually roomed together. So we drove all the way from Detroit down to Lexington, Kentucky every time for school. 
And this time, I remember, I don't even think I said two words to Eric because I was just looking out the window and I was just complaining to God and saying, God, I want to do great things for you. How come you're not doing this stuff with my life? And shortly after that, I was out on the golf course late at night saying these very words to him. Come on, God, do great things with me. And you guys have heard this before, but it was one of the most intimate moments ever with God where I know he spoke to my heart. I've never heard God speak to me audibly, but you know this is a spiritual deal here, right? You are a spiritual being and God will speak to your heart, to the depth of who you are as a person. I am just like James and John. I want to do great things for you, God. And what did God say to me? In my heart, what I heard him say was, great, Dave, would you go to the depths of the jungles of Colombia? to a primitive tribe in the middle of nowhere in a communist-infested country back in the 80s? Would you do that? And again, I remember my answer was, there ain't no way. No way. So you know what Jesus was saying to me? Come on, God, I want you to do great things with my life. You have no idea what you're asking, Dave. You have no idea what you're asking. And you know what? I didn't. I was young. I was on fire and I wanted to do great things for God. And what we want to look here, you guys, is that all of a sudden what we realize is Jesus' idea of great was be a nobody in the middle of nowhere. Now that's great. Really? See, God has it all upside down. And that's what we need to look at if we want to lose our place and actually be great in his kingdom. The next thing he says is this. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Oh, hold on. Sorry, my notes got out of order. Rest of 22. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Because you guys, you don't know what you're asking. You want to be my right-hand man, but can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And what do they say? Oh, yeah, we can. <laughs> and then what's interesting, what was the cup? See, we got to go a few chapters later when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, man, when I was in Israel, the most important place for me, probably, I think it was the most important place for me out of everything that I saw, was when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because that's where Jesus was on his knees praying to his Father. And he was so stressed that drops of blood were coming like sweat down his face. Now, I get stressed. Anybody been stressed like that? And what was he stressed about? What was he saying when drops of blood were coming down his face? Father, if there is any way, take this cup from me. See, James and John were so presumptuous. Can you drink it? Oh, sure. Now, here's the most powerful human being, because he was God, ever sweating drops of blood because he knew the cup of suffering that he was going to have to go through was going to be so intense that he didn't even want to do it. Now, what's interesting is he comes to these guys, and what happened, right? So later on, when he was in the garden, James and John were there, right? And what was he asking them and the other disciples? Hey, dude, could you guys just stay with me for a little bit and pray? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Jesus. You know, hey, guys, could you just come on? Wait, comes back. Come on. Could you just stay away for a little while? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, they can't do it. And then... When the persecution comes and all the soldiers come and they take Jesus and the cup starts to get delivered, what do James and John do? They bolt. 
They couldn't do it. We wanted to be great, God. You guys have no idea what you're asking for. Can you do it? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. But then you know what he says? Look at this verse. Verse 23. He says, Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. See, James and John wanted to be great, but they couldn't do it. And when the pressure came, they folded and they bolted. They couldn't do it. But you know what? After Jesus Christ died and he rose again and Pentecost happened, which is when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, when God's Spirit lived in James and John, guess what happened? Yeah, you will indeed drink my cup. Check out Acts 12, verse 2. Wow, just just broke my heart. James, the brother of John, the first martyr taken with a sword and killed. He drank it. John didn't die from persecution, but he was persecuted his whole life. And at the end of his life, he was put on a deserted island called Patmos all by himself in isolation. Yeah, you guys will drink it. You will. But then he says this, but you guys want to be at my right and my left hand. He says, well... That's not even my job to say who gets to do that. He says this amazing thing. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. You know, one of the greatest things about studying the Bible is you always learn new things. And uh, this week, this was a new thing for me. These places, the right hand and the left hand, even James and John, who are the inner circle with Jesus, Jesus goes, "Mm, I don't know if you're going to get that. Those places are reserved seating. (laughs) And my Father is the one who prepares those seats. How many of you guys ever get to sit in reserve seating? How many of you get, anybody in here ever get reserve seating? Okay, like two of you. All right, good, you're peons like me. So, because, I mean, to have reserve seating, it reminded me of one of my first dates back in Detroit. Um, I took this girl to a Detroit Pistons game, and we bolted there, we got there late, and I had a buddy who was an usher, and he told me, he said, hey, when you come to the game, because we had nosebleed seats way up in the high, uh, highest level, and he said, when you come to the game, Come down, and, uh, and I'll find you some seats. And I'm like, oh, that'd be great. You know, I'll look all impressive on this first date. Hey, you know, I'll just take her right down you know, to the court side. So we sit down in these seats, and five minutes later, those people who are sitting there come. Yeah, excuse me, you're in our seats. Oh, okay, sorry. And Mark down there, he goes, I hey, just sit over there. So we go over there, and we sit in these seats. Five minutes later, those people come. Uh, those are our seats. Oh, excuse me. So you get out of those seats, and we went to a third place. No lie. Five minutes later, those people came and kicked us out of our seats. First date. Can you be more humiliated on a first date than that right there? So we finally, we were walking out, and Mark comes up and he, hey, after halftime, just come down because nobody comes after halftime, and I'll get you some seats. So we run up to the third level. Okay, now how stupid am I? So I grab the girl, and we come down, and we go to the level, and we start walking down, and everybody goes, hey, and they all were mocking us as we walk down the thing because of all the seats. You see, sometimes you're not supposed to sit there. Those are reserved for somebody else. And just deal with it. And what hit me with this was Jesus telling us, my Father has prepared those seats. But you know what? He hasn't just prepared those. Do you know He's prepared your seat? This is so critical, you guys. You are who you are because God thought of you. 
You are his idea. Your intellect, your physical makeup, your DNA is God's design and his thought of you. The Bible tells us that even once you're part of the church, the Holy Spirit actually determines what gift you have. He's the one who tells you what part of the body you are. And this is where we struggle because we want to be that. That's why the scriptures have this whole section where the, where the eye wants to be the ear and you know, the ear wants to be the hand. Nobody's satisfied with who they are. And when I read this, I just thought, what a great reminder that actually I'm God's idea and he has tons of ideas. And how cool to know that he actually has places reserved for me or a place reserved for me and one for you. And you know what that can do? It can help you to finally just chill. You don't have to try to be more than you are. And I think that's one of the things that he was trying to tell James and John. Now, as he goes on in verse 24, and this is the meat of this thing. He goes, okay, guys, you're going to drink these cups, and, but I can't give you those seats. My father decides who sits there. And then he says this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, does that surprise you? Come on, think about it. These are the 12 disciples. Didn't you think that they would respond with, oh, what a great idea. I'm so excited for James and John. You know, I'm so glad that they're going to have that. No, what were they? They were ticked. They were angry. Why? Because they wanted them. I mean, these are the apostles, you guys. And you know what helped me with that? Is you know who suffers from this disease? Everybody. Everybody's looking for it, including the 12. And then Jesus, and here we go, in verse 25, he calls them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, now, well, here we go. Jesus starts off and he says, in verse, in verse uh, 25, I think it was, if we can just pop back there, he goes, um, you guys know that the, Lord, the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were just the whole world outside the Jewish faith. And, and, and these guys, if you remember, if you know history at all, they were living under the Roman Empire. And that's why I think Jesus would say, come on, now you, you guys know this. You've seen it. The rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over people. Their high officials exercise authority over them. And I think what happens here, now I start to wonder and go, okay, I think Jesus was seeing something in the hearts of these guys that wasn't good. And he knew a couple things, right? He knew they had been arguing about it. I want to be first. No, I want to be first. I want to be in the right hand. Well, how come you should be in the right hand? I'm done. At least James and John had the guts and the honesty to ask him for it. And then when they asked him, the other ten were indignant. And you know what I think was going on? I love this too. So Jesus called them together. He's like, okay, boys, come here, come here. Kind of have a huddle. The 12 of them gather around. He looks at him. He goes, okay. All right, you guys are a bunch of jerks. Now, listen to me. You have seen how the world operates. You've seen it. And then he says what? Not so with you. Not so with you. Why? Let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, he says, because you're my disciples. 
Do you guys remember what a disciple is? A disciple was somebody who left everything for a rabbi so that they could learn everything that the rabbi knew so that they could live exactly as the rabbi lived. And Jesus says, not so with you. Come on, you 12, you're my disciples. You're supposed to live like me and I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And so he goes, my kingdom is completely upside down. He's going, you guys, you need to understand. If, if I die and you guys, if I send you out and you're arguing about who's going to be the greatest and you're, you're positioning yourself to lord it over other people, you're going to screw the whole thing up. See, because I, when I come, all I've done is serve. And if you're my disciple, then you need to be doing the same thing. Look at this amazing verse in Philippians chapter 2. It says this. Now, can I, can I just, before I read this, see, and I won't make you all raise your hand, but lots of times I'll just stop and I'll go, if you, how many of you in here would say you're a disciple of Christ, right? And a lot of us would raise our hand. We just quickly would do that because I'm a Christian or whatever. Can, can, see, okay, here we go. So Jesus is looking at you. We got a huddle here, right? And Jesus is saying to all of us, are you really my disciple? Really? Then not so with you. Not so with you. Why? Philippians 2. Look at this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, here you go. Ready? All of us who are Christians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. <laughs> being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death and even death on a cross. And therefore, check this out, why? Because he became a servant and gave his life away and emptied himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name that is above every name. What's that mean? I think you could call that first. I think you could call that the greatest. And why was he claimed first and greatest? Because he made himself nothing. That was nothing. And he took on the nature of a servant. So Jesus is saying, first of all, hey guys, I know everybody else is trying to climb the corporate ladder and be better than everybody else and lord it over people and be selfish in their ambition. Not so with you because you're my disciples. And here's maybe the other part of it that's so critical, you guys, is he also says, I think not so with you because it's not acceptable. <laughs> okay? It's not acceptable. Come on, you guys, think about this just for a minute. Where does selfish ambition 
and seeking to be served instead of serving others actually beneficial? Think about it. When you're selfish, you know what it does? It absolutely ruins your life. It ruins your relationship. I think the whole world, and I don't think, is what God tells us. The way the world would work is if we actually were concerned about other people more than ourselves. Now, the world doesn't work that way, so it's all just a mess. And that's why he says, not so with you. Listen to this verse in James. It says this. Oops, lost it. In James, it says this. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. Now look at this. But it is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. <laughs> see, see, can you see why Jesus was saying, not so with you guys. You know why I don't want you to be like this? Here's why. Because for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Can I, there's so, so many of you that I don't know in here. Can I just, if you're married today, think about your marriage just for a second. How's selfish ambition working out for you? Hey, you know, is that causing a lot of peace and love and comfort around your home? I'm telling you, where you find selfish ambition, you find disorder, agreed? And every type of evil practice. Hey, you're going to go to work tomorrow, right? Now, in your workplace, when you walk in the doors, does everybody just go, oh, and just lay out the red carpet for you and serve you and want you to have... No, man, you're going in and it's, it's competitive. And what happens when you work in that type of environment? I'm not competitive. isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. But when it's against each other or there's bite, when there's selfish ambition, it becomes havoc. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, come on, you guys, you know what? <laughs> not so with you. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And then he says this, whoever wants to be great and whoever wants to be first. Anybody in here? Yeah, see, it's, a, it's not as easy to raise your hand now, is it? <laughs> see, because all of a sudden God says, wow, you want to be first, huh? Awesome. See, and here's what hit me with this. I was thinking about my athletic life years ago <laughs> and how if I wasn't starting, if I wasn't on first string, I would do whatever it took to make sure that I was. I remember one, one time in baseball, where um, I was a leadoff hitter, and I was in a slump, and the guy on the second game of the doubleheader, he took me out. He let me play center field, but he had somebody else bat for me. And I remember watching my dad get in his car and leave the game. That ain't happening again! Why? Because I'm not significant, I'm not important, I'm not valuable, because now all of a sudden I'm not starting, Right? See, there's something inside of me that says, I am going to be successful. I am going to win. I am going to make money. You, you've got yours, don't you? See, we all do. And now, all of a sudden, I thought, huh, when Jesus goes, hey, Nelson, you want to be my first string? See, if you want to be on my first string, then that means you forget about yourself completely. See, and then spiritually, you kind of go, wow, you know, sitting on the bench ain't that bad. You know, at least I get to, you know, think about me and 
be selfish and have my own stuff. And, and all of a sudden, God is, I mean, it is so upside down. So you guys, let's think about these. Let's go through some of these. How's your attitude? Okay, and let me talk to all of us. You're Christians in here. Many of you, most of you are Christians. Is your attitude the same as that of Christ when you go home? How many of you, when you get home and your family's all there together, your first thought is, man, how am I going to outserve you? See, that's one of the things that ticks me off about Susie. She outserves me. She really does. I never thought that was going to happen. With other girls I dated, I was like, I just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, I married this woman, and she outserves me. I told her first service, she's going down. <laughs> We're having a new competition. Right? Can you imagine having a new competition in your home? You ain't outserving me. What do you think that would do for your marriage? I mean, it might transform it. I mean, how many of you guys and gals, when you go home and you're going to be around your kids, that you actually think about how to serve your children? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm training them, you know, to do the dishes and take out the garden, right? I mean, there's... No. How many of you are thinking like Christ who says, I am so more glorious than you, and you know why? Because I always serve you. I see, you guys see how radical this is? Can you imagine if we went home today and our attitude was the same as that of Christ? It would change our homes. It really would. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, when you walk in at work, what's your attitude? Is it the same as that of Christ? Do you walk in on Monday and look at the coworkers, your boss, or the people that you oversee and say, I can't wait to serve you today? I can't wait to figure out how to encourage you today, how to believe in you and support you? Can you imagine a workplace like that? I can. I feel like it happens here. I love to come to work because there are so many people who are like that, and you guys could change your whole environment at your workplace by having the same attitude as that of Christ. Do you guys, how many of you have read Good to Great? Oh my, seriously? Is that all? How many of you read Good to Great? Wow. Hey, you need to read Good to Great, so that won't be a good illustration for you. Because this guy, this leadership genius, has this thing he calls level five leadership. And you know what it is? It's this. People finally are realizing that if you're going to be successful in the business world, you need to care more about the whole thing than you do yourself. Same deal. Can I ask you, K2, here's another place, right here. Do you come to K2 to be served, or do you come to serve? See, see, see again, like, and, I, and if you're visiting, or if you're just checking out us, this isn't for you. But if you're someone who says, K2's my church, then, my, and then just one question I feel like I need to throw out to you, then do you come to be served, or do you come here looking to serve? See, because what Jesus would say to all of us, he goes, if you're a part of me, then I, if I'm living inside of you, I never live to serve, to be served. I live to serve. And so, man, this place should just be crawling with Christ followers who are looking for how you can use the gift that you've given, been given and serve this place. And I'll just throw it out again. I'm sure, sure Andy hit it. We need like 50 more people to minister to kids. Now, again, for some of us, that might be, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. It might be like Christ. And, and you know what? Tons of kids are going to come on Christmas Eve with an opportunity to be loved and ministered to. And we just need a few more people. I just want to throw that out again to you. But to say, if you're a part of the church, just like in your home, just like in your workplace, even here, we should seek to serve and not to be served. And you know what? Even for Christmas. Christmas. How many of you guys love Christmas? I mean, I love Christmas. It's such a great memory for me. 
um, as a kid. And so when I had my own kids, all I could think about was creating this incredibly special day. You know, I just, oh, I just, you know, we just get up, you stay in your pajamas all day. It's awesome. You eat everything, you know, it's just great. You've just leftover mania. You play with all the games that you get. It's just a great day. And um, last week, I felt like God was saying to me, hey, you know what, Dave? Um, when I came, because that's what Christmas was, right? Yeah, okay. When I came, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I got an idea. How about this Christmas? Remember, that's when I came. How about this Christmas? You let me do that again. Would you let me serve on Christmas instead of be served? Because that's actually what it's about. I remember just going, okay, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> whoo hoo um, and it wouldn't leave me alone, and it wouldn't leave me alone, and it wouldn't leave me alone. So Tuesday at our staff meeting, I finally told our staff, I go, God, I don't even want to tell you guys this, but I sense that God is asking me on Christmas Day to actually make it about serving instead of being, you know. And it was wild. Eric Winter goes, he goes, I totally, he's been saying the same thing to me. Christian goes, me too. And all of a sudden, we realized, you know what, and I just want to encourage you guys. And what's happening is, is there are some people in the church who just know of people. See, because Christmas can be greater. It can be horrible, right? It can be extremely lonely. And what's happening is some people are just, they know some people in their circle that they're going to just be inviting over for Christmas because they know they wouldn't have any other place to go. And I just feel like I'm supposed to hit that idea out to you. If maybe this Christmas, you might know somebody who just needs to be loved on and, um, and you would reach out to them. Bonnie, who's great, she's our compassion director. But before she was ever that director, it's kind of why she is our director, you know what she would do on Christmas? <laughs> she's so Bonnie. She goes downtown. She walks around the streets and, you know, everything's shut down, it's quiet, and there's all these people who have no place on Christmas. I'm telling you, there's nothing that would be more like Jesus than doing that. Not so with you guys. Not so. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So I want to encourage you to think about your Christmas this year. It may, maybe you, maybe I, maybe we will have one of the most radical Christmases ever because we actually celebrate it like Jesus. And I just want to really encourage you to do that. Um, let me close. A couple things. You know one of the coolest things about being great in the kingdom of God? is it has absolutely nothing to do with talent. Did you know that you, you can work your tail off as an athlete, and then there's other people who are just more athletic than you? You guys ever experienced that? And it doesn't matter what you do. They're just better than you. Musically, some of you who are in the arts, you practice as much as you can, and then there's just somebody else who's just better than you. You know, other people are just... And what's so cool about this, you guys, is in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, can I just tell you this? There's not one of you in this room, there's not one of you in this room, including me, who couldn't be the greatest in this room because it's completely a heart issue. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, how talented you are, how beautiful you are, how successful you are, how much money you have, whether your personality is an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter. All God says is, if you serve 
more than anybody else, then you're greater. Is there anything in here that hinders us from serving? Yeah, just one thing. (laughs) Ourselves. That's it. So here's the issue, you guys. Our issue is this. We need a new heart. We need a new heart. Hey, Jace, could you throw up the last verse? Verse 28. Jesus says this. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Can we have verse 28? Just real quick. Here we go. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then look what he says. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what's that mean? You know what a ransom is? You guys do, right? A ransom is when you make a payment to set somebody who's a prisoner or who's captive free, right? You're kidnapped. Somebody owns you. You pay a ransom. They give them back. Jesus says this. Now, please catch this because this is where Christmas, this is where the world does not understand Christmas, okay? And one of the interesting things, I know, I know, don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. You know what's interesting to me? Is here's Jesus saying, you know what Christmas is really about? I came into the world to pay a ransom that you couldn't pay. To set people free. What did he set us up? You know, and what are we captive to, you guys? You know what we were captive to? Jesus calls it sin. Every single one of us, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, is a slave to sin. And you know what that means? When you're a slave, you're a captive to sin. And you know what sin is? Sin is literally where your heart just says, I care more about me than I do God. I care more about me than I do other people. And I care so much, I don't believe in God, so I just do my own thing. And you know what God says? Yeah. And you know why the world's a mess? (laughs) Because everybody thinks more about themselves than anybody else. And it's ruining you. And it's destroying your relationships. And it's sending the world to hell. Literally. So, let's have Christmas. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as your ransom. So you know what can happen? What happens is this. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ then what he does is he purchases you and he sets you free from yourself. Oh, thank you, God. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and not thinking about yourself first? Can you imagine how much anxiety would leave? How much tension would leave? How much stress and pressure? You wake up in the morning and you actually think about other people instead of yourself? That's what Jesus came to do, was to set you free because God does punish our sin he hates it you know why he hates it because it screws life up so Jesus came to pay the price for our sin because God's going to pay the price and when you receive Christ your payment is made he buys you back to himself and then he puts a new heart into you. He puts his Holy Spirit into you so that he can start to transform you and to make you like himself. And I'm telling you guys, you need this. I need this. Your marriage needs it. Every relationship, the world needs this. That's why we have Christmas because Jesus came to save us from the stuff that's destroying us.
and he will give you a new heart. I got to hurry, man. Now, here's the deal. Some of you go, well, I did that. Receive Christ, and I'm still selfish. Anybody relate? Okay, what's going on? I can tell you, I think it's this right here. See, we think that sin is like smoking and, um, you know, and other things that are bad. And God says, no, you know what sin is? Is when you don't trust me and you don't follow my ways, it's when you think about yourself more than anybody else. See, and so what happens is we go home and we, don't, we lay on the couch. We don't care what our wife's doing or we don't, we don't serve our kids. We tell them to bring it. Whatever. You go to work, you, 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 whatever. And what happens is we never confess that as sin. If you looked at porn, oh yeah, okay, I confess. You know, you lied and stole something at work, okay, I confess. The reason our hearts don't change as Christ followers is because when we live for ourselves and Jesus looks at us and says, not so with you, we say, what's the big deal? And he says, I'll tell you what the big deal is. It's sin and it stinks. And I died for it. So you wouldn't be slaves to it anymore. So if you're a follower of Christ, what we need to do today is we need to confess our sin. When you're selfish at home and have selfish ambition at work, and when you come to church and you come to be served instead of serve, we need to lay it down before God and say, I am sorry. Wow, what was I doing? That's wisdom that's of the devil. It leads to disorder. Not so with me. Anybody up for that? Not so with me. Can we change the stinking world by saying not so with me? Band, come on up, and I want to pray for you. Let's close our, let's bow our heads, and let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this passage because you reveal to us what you're like, that you love us, you want to serve us, you're humble, you're amazing. And God, I just want to give all of us a chance right now just to... Those of us who claim to be followers of you, I just I hope we could see you look at us with those gracious, merciful, forgiving eyes that love us so much. But you're looking at us today and saying, come on, guys, no more. And God, we want to just confess to you right now that we are selfish in our homes. That our relationships around us are falling apart because we think about ourselves more than we do others. And we confess that to you right now. Thank you that your word tells us that if we confess, you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we confess that out in the world, in our workplaces or wherever we're at, we're just thinking about ourselves more than we do others. What are we doing? Please forgive us and cleanse us from that. And God, this church that I'm a part of, I'm not serving here. I just I come, but I don't serve, and I, I confess that to you. That's just not you. I want this place to be full and vibrant and alive with your spirit. And I just confess I need to jump in. God, we confess to you that this is sin. It's just not like you. And we pray now that you'd set us free. That you'd set us free. Rise up within us and change us and help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.